You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Um, You know that we truly need your presence in order for it to really speak to us so we ask that you be close to each one of us enlighten our minds inspire our hearts we pray in Jesus name Amen so uh, Monday and Tuesday's handouts are up here uh, if you didn't get one also should mention that they have it somewhere on the Michigan Conference camp meeting section of their website there. She told me she put them up there just for your information. So on your handout today, you don't have a title. I failed to put a title. Uh, This section here, I actually used to call, I usually call it the robe, meaning the robe of Jesus' righteousness. But I slapped this on here this morning, the priest. That's really uh, the topic of our first section here today. So, uh, we're going to start right here with a quick review. Jesus' priesthood is first alluded to in the introduction of the book of Hebrews. There in chapter 1, verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins. I say alluded to in that verse. Um, the first actual mention of his priesthood, then, is in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And this this is a this this verse here is a transitionary uh, couple of verses, Hebrews two seventeen and eighteen, which is followed by a long exhortation, which according to some people begins in verse one. I tend to see uh, verse one through six. Uh, differently. So whether verse 1 or verse 7, a long exhortation begins there, uh, going all the way to chapter 4 and verse 13. And it begins with these words, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. So here's the next mention of Jesus' work as priest. And then that is followed by another transitional summary, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, which contains these words, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. And so, after the exhortation of 3.7 to 4.13, chapter 5 then, uh, after that transitionary summary we just read, is returning to the previous argument. And that is that the Son is a high priest. And that's where we'll pick up here, chapter 5. And the topic uh, is of chapter 5 is the qualifications of a high priest. 
qualifications of a high priest. So uh, there are really two qualifications mentioned, especially with reference to the earthly priests. Must be called by God, must be able to mediate salvation. And then the third qualification is certainly discussed uh, regarding Jesus. Okay? So, uh, you can see here, chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men. This is, you know, they, they're there to mediate salvation. And then, um, and no one takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. Uh, both these verses are referring to earthly priests. Uh, um, so they're appointed, number one. Um, as we said, they, they must be appointed. And number two, they're called by God. And regarding Jesus, uh, Hebrews 5, verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So here, the order of Melchizedek is introduced. So Jesus, uh, clearly, uh, he was made priest by an oath. We already made reference to that earlier. Um, so he did not glorify himself, no, no. Uh, it was the one who said to him, and we have these quotes here from um, Psalm 2 and also from Psalm 110, verse 4. So, uh, that was actually, uh, must, must be called by God. Number two, must be able to mediate salvation. Hebrews 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men, for men, on behalf of men, and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So that's their purpose. Yes, Ari? Well, this is talking about the earthly priests. So other men. Yes. Yes. And it's an interesting verse because um, just before this, or let's see, it says that, uh, yeah, no man takes this honor to himself, it says. Well, oh boy, that is really presenting the ideal because, you know, at that time, I mean, people have been murdered. You know, high priests were murdered by the guy that wanted to be the next high priest and, and the, it was for sale and so on and so forth. So it's, he's presenting the ideal in order to, you know, make his point. Yeah. Good question. So. Every high priest is appointed that they may offer both gifts and sacrifice for sins. Now we drop down to uh, verses 8 and 9. So the first several verses, I want to say uh, even, well, the first several verses in chapter 5 is laying out the qualifications, and then after that it's showing how that Jesus indeed fulfilled those qualifications. So now we're dropping down here to verse 8 and 9. Though he was a son, Yet he learned obedience. So now we're talking about, hmm, he's out of place, but I'm just going to go with it. Well, now we're talking about suffering. That's right. We already, we already saw that Jesus was called by God. I'm sorry. Okay. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, 
He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey. Any questions? Yeah, I, I'd stop and ask that because there's, you know, there's a lot in this verse here. And uh, I'm going to just... Uh, oh, I forgot to turn this off this morning. I just want to see what i got coming next here. I don't run too much ahead of myself. So, how did he learn obedience by the things that he suffered? Well, the same book of Hebrews said, says that he suffered being tempted, right? So it's related to temptation. He suffered being tempted. And, of course, the height of his temptation, the height of his experience, as we'll see here uh, right now, is that was when he chose to accept the experience of second death. He chose to yield his will to the Father and literally lay down his life forever. Um, indeed. So, though he was a son, this is emphatic. Okay? Even though he was a son, did he learn obedience by the things which he suffered? Yes. Fear of death. death. Exactly. So and he came and conquered death. He he what? He was human. He was afraid of death just like he was. Yeah. I have to think about it. But um portals of the tomb, yes. Right, well that's what I was thinking is that his most human beings are fearing death. They they, they don't taste second death until after the millennium. Yes. Yeah. See, that was the height. That's why I'm going to go on here a little bit because now you're getting into my next slides. <laughs> Let's hold your hand, okay? Okay. And uh, but notice this is a this is a weighty verse here. There's a lot in this verse, and uh, so let's just go here. Uh, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, save him out from death, uh, and was heard because of his godly fear. I'm just going to skip past this real quick now. Um, I think perhaps most of us recognize that um, certainly, ultimately, this passage is referring to Jesus' struggle in Gethsemane. And uh, so we have here Matthew 26, 36, where it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. They took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. 
Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Um, and so Jesus, um, I'll just repeat this. Though likely most people here are quite familiar with this. Jesus took upon himself um, the guilt, the shame, the weight of the sin of the world already in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, and uh, and I will add the justice of God against sin, which crushed him. And we know it was a struggle because we know that three times he said, you know, if it's possible. Is there any other way the human race could be saved? Let this cup pass from me. Yes. What uh, What do you think that means? I mean, what does that mean? He was hurt. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was just going to say that he was hurt. Okay, all right, good, excellent. Um, it just uh, dawned on me not that long ago. I mean, he prayed unto him, it says, he was able to save him. There's a little preposition there, ek, out from death. Um, he was hurt, but he died. And so I reflect, maybe I'm prejudiced in this direction, I don't know that his whole, you know, his resurrection and enthronement uh, was also um, part of the answer to that prayer. So, anyway, it, this is very, very, very sacred ground that we're on, obviously. Yes. God also has anguish. Absolutely. Thank you. And the same thing Right. Yeah. We don't talk so much about the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. So, um, Scripture tells us in this regard that um, the Lord made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Yes, righteous of God in him. Thank you. All right. So, uh, all right. So, got all that. We started here, right? So, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications and vehement cries and tears to him, he was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his godly fear, because of his reverence towards God. And I just want to take a moment to point out that for Jesus, really, he was struggling with second death. I mean, we just can't imagine. Uh, even for us to think about, you know, second death, that's one thing. Nobody wants that. Uh, but he had already been in heaven. 
he actually had heard the angelic choirs over and over and over again and you know, understood the depth of love, which is the whole meaning of life. So there he was struggling to lay it all down for the sake of the humans. And even for him, it was a struggle because he loved his father so much. Literally, he was put between choosing between his father and human beings. And of course, it was his father's will that he go through with this. And, and I, I just like to say, I always like to say, there's no, there's no drunkard that loves their alcohol, no drug addict that loves their drugs, no um, person that loves their money or their pride. There's no sin that we love more than Jesus loved the Father. That Jesus loved, what I really want to say is that Jesus loved life, which of course meant being with the Father. And that he gave that up. All right, now we're going to move on here. So, Mark, so, um, I see, did we miss him? Verse 8, let me check. Maybe it's just, here it is, okay. But though he was a son, why do I have that there? Okay, because he was tasting death for every person. That's what he was experiencing. He was tasting death for every person. Second death. He was tasting second death in our place. Uh, I, I once uh, was a, I guess, self-supporting Bible worker down in Fort Payne, Alabama. Um, I even learned the language down there in order to do that. <laughs> I shouldn't say this is being recorded, but anyway. Uh, and... I was giving Bible studies to a young man I had met, a young carpenter, and we studied about the millennium, about the people who wake up outside the city. And I was talking to him about second death experience and, and how the people would wake up and realize that you know they could have been inside the city, but by their own foolishness they had you know, lost it. And he told me this story. Probably none of you people know this, but there's a band called the Alabama Band. Okay? And they, they, they grew up in the town I was in, Fort Payne, Alabama. And, and this apparently, um, yeah, I've told this story more than once. There was, so there was four of them. One of them was a drummer, had a fairly serious drinking problem. And he you know, would miss practice, or he'd come unable to really practice like this. So then finally the other guys decided to you know, drop him. And uh, apparently it was right after that that they hit it big overnight. Well, this guy was, was working for his boss, building a mansion for one of these Alabama band members. He said a guy came to work one day, and it was a beautiful day, and he said, oh, man, I can't stand this, I can't stand I kind of gave away my punchline already, but anyway, um, my friend, uh, the young man I was giving Bible studies to, he said, well, you know, what's the matter? You know, we got good work, it's good pay, it's a beautiful day. I said, what's the matter? Don't you know who I am? I used to be a member of this band. This should be my house. Yeah. So anyway, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We're talking about the high priest, the steps to become a high priest, the qualifications to become a high priest. And it says here, 
and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. <coughs> having been perfected. Any questions? You had your hand up? You had a question? Right. Jesus had to be perfect. That's a that's the question I wanted. You know, Jesus came here fully God, right? And he came here fully man, right? Ah, uh, but there's and um, morally Jesus was perfect. But there was something Jesus did not have. There was something Jesus did not have. And that was a human character. Because he had never lived life in human flesh, um, tempted in all points like as we are. And he didn't, he, that's something he didn't have. And he literally, moment by moment, was weaving the robe of his righteousness. Every sin overcome, every temptation resisted, he was building a character. He was weaving a character. A robe of righteousness. And um, literally, the, literally the order of this is, the order of this is, even though part of it isn't showing up right here, the order is, um, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Having done that, having been perfected, he was called by God, or appointed, really, is where he was appointed by God, high priest, and became the author of eternal salvation. So, back to our your question. Um, yeah, he was not complete as a high priest until he had worked out a human character. So, in the uh, wonderful book called The Desire of Ages, uh, this, it says this on page 762. It says, Christ coming to the earth as man lived a holy life and notice, developed a perfect character. Yes, he was morally perfect, of course, as the Son of God. Uh, he was spotless. But he did not have a human character. So developed a perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who receive them. So, developed, he lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. 762. Let's just look at something else here. So let me just say before I do. So, this character, this character had to be formed to be both imputed, that is, um, put in the place of our faulty character in the judgment, and imparted. That's a part of those heavenly blessings for every situation. That human character formed by Jesus, that perfect human character, is imparted to human beings who will feel their need of it and who will... Um, open their heart to it. And 
sometimes people, um, I'll say Christian people, think that Jesus could have flown a helicopter in here on Thursday night, you know, uh, died on Friday and gone back to heaven on Sunday and everything would have been great, but that's, there's no, that, that has, that is just a misunderstanding of the plan of redemption. He had to live and perfect the human character um, to be our high priest. I mean, there's a reason he fasted, you know, in the desert and so on. Read a few more thoughts. This is from our general conference bulletin, our church paper, however, back in 1899, an inspired statement. The Lord our Redeemer closed his divinity with humanity and worked out, modern language, and worked out in behalf of man, behalf of the human race, a character that was without spot or blemish. So he worked out this character on our behalf. He, I mean, he could have lived in heaven for eternity without that. But that he needed for us. Again, in that wonderful book, if you've never read it, it's called Christ's Object Lessons. Page 310, it says, It is the righteousness of Christ, His own unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to all who receive Him as their personal Savior. You know, so when we teach the children to invite Jesus into our heart, that's wonderful and beautiful. And uh, uh, here is a little wider understanding. It's his own unblemished character that is imparted to the people of God on earth. And that he himself has been tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. He literally can impart his victory to us. And he's so encouraging. So encouraging. This is... And then... It goes on here, page 311. This robe, woven in the loom of heaven, has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity worked out a perfect character. And this character he offers to impart to us. So here in chapter 5, we're seeing the heart of what it took for him to be our high priest. Um, he had to be made like his brethren. And triumphantly formed a character in human flesh. And it's ours. And I hope that nobody, you know, there's different personalities, different ways, different personalities, different backgrounds. And somebody might look at this phrase, perfect character, and just be scared out of their wits, you know. But let's focus on what he did for us, what he can do for us, what he's willing to do for us. And he'll take care of the rest.
That's my suggestion, at least. So this is sacred ground, and this is uh, what it takes to be a high priest. He suffered being tempted. He went to the Mount Everest of yielding his will to the Father's will. No sacrifice could even be conceived to come anywhere close to the choice that he made in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross of Calvary as he cried out, My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? I think I just should say a word of prayer right now. Father in heaven, thank you um, for the, our high priest, for the awesome plan of salvation that was worked out on our behalf. Thank you for your presence here right now. Speak to our hearts. Pray these things in Jesus' name. It strikes me I probably shouldn't have done that. They're probably going to cut off the rest of this meeting now. That's, that's where they cut. I'll have to make an important point to that. Now, I, I passed up by your question, I think. You remember what it was? It's been a while back. back. By what? Oh, I'm saying, good, great question. What does it mean by second death? Well, everybody's going to die once because well, almost everybody's going to die once because of Adam's sin. And then um, um, multitudes of people are going to experience a second death outside of the city of God. And fire comes down from heaven and devours them. This is the, the, the hard anguish of separation from God for eternity is what Jesus tasted. That is second death, eternal death. Great question. Now, um, by the way, this is in the wilderness on Lake Superior, and uh, one of my very favorite camping spots. I've been there. I had the privilege of being there twice. It's quite a paddle. It's like I don't know, 20 miles from the nearest road along the shore of Lake Superior. It's a national park, and there's nobody there generally. And uh, it's a beautiful spot, and that's my beloved community. It's in Ontario, Canada, yes. And I think I even have this picture here. <laughs> okay. All right, now, um, we have another handout from today, okay? If you can just share this here. i got three, three different piles here. Um, you could just maybe pass this back, and here's a, a smaller pile here. And... Uh, I want to So Oh, anybody didn't get one yet? Okay, oh, it's coming back towards you yet. Oh wait. I'm sorry, did you get one? Everybody has one? So, oh, you dropped it. Oh, we have lots of extras here. I think we need one. Okay, perfect.
Now, um, we've seen this word son many times, right from the very beginning. Um, in these last days, he has spoken to us. By the way, it doesn't say, uh, it says by son. Okay. Uh, that's what, Hebrews 1 verse 1 or verse 2, probably verse 2 maybe. Uh, he has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, we read in English, but it's, it's by son. It, 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 it's like, you know, if you send a letter, there's certain ways, you know, you can send it by, you know, what's an expensive way to send a letter? You, know, you can send it by, yeah, special delivery, okay? So it's referring to a method. He entrusted not just any messenger, but his son. And so, um, and then we saw in our passage today, uh, even though he was a son, the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the sins that she suffered. This is an infinite sacrifice which we just talked about. He came here to learn obedience in human So I want to spend a little time on this sonship. It's a very important theme in the book of Hebrews. Okay, so uh, here we are. One verse one. I, God, who at various times and various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. I already talked about that. That's the inter, right in the introductory verses for the whole book. Right away, already in verse two, the Son is introduced, and then the first two, the first two of the seven quotes in chapter one, mention this relationship. This, this, uh, you are my Son. Today I've begotten you. The very first quote. You are my son. And the second quote is similar. Uh, okay, I put this here, but I explained this. You are my son today, I've begotten you. I talked about that uh, that first day. That it doesn't mean you know, Jesus came forth from the Father at some time in eternity. It's referring to um, his resurrection in Acts chapter 13. And it's referring to his enthronement in Hebrews chapter 5 which I have already pointed out, are one event. Resurrection and throne. Okay? Are looked at as one event, certainly in the book of Hebrews. So again, the very second quotation, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. So we see, I mean, already, we're in verse 5, already three times. He's a son. Which... As I talked about the other day, this is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, this quote here in Hebrews 1 5, I'll beat him and father, he should be to me his son, is coming from 2 Samuel 7 14. And this was given at the time that, uh, you know, this was when the Lord was talking to David about Solomon, who was going to build the Lord's house. And in the context there, as I pointed out the other day, he told David, speaking of Solomon, I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So you can see how these relate to uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. How they relate to Jesus' kingdom, his enthronement. Remember Daniel chapter 7, the judgment takes place and the son receives his kingdom. After it's decided who are the um, subjects of that kingdom. And so three things are mentioned there. I will establish his kingdom, the Lord says of Solomon. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Lord says of Solomon. 
I will be his father and he shall be my son. Well, Hebrews takes this last part, but all three of these apply to the son. Who, after conquering, was enthroned. Then again, verse 8, one of the other quotes, uh, one of those seven quotes there in chapter 1. Your throne, O God, oh, excuse me, but to the Son, he says. So he says such and such to angels, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So this sonship is extremely important in the book of Hebrews, and really, I'll say, to the plan of redemption. Now we come over here. Uh, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Uh, this is Hebrews chapter 3, by the way. Therefore, holy brethren, verse 1, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. And he goes on to say here in Hebrews chapter 3, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. But Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house we are. So here, Moses is not said to be unfaithful at all. He is, in fact, declared to be faithful. But he was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son. So our author feels the need to emphasize this sonship. And uh, this, by the way, this passage is based on Numbers 12, verse 7, where the Lord himself was defending Moses. And he said in Numbers 12, verse 7, He is faithful in all my house. Again, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, no man takes his honor to himself, but he was called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become my praise, but it was he who said to him, oh, what I'm doing here is just showing that in passing that um, the connection between Hebrews chapter 5, which uses the word honor and the word glorify, to um, Hebrews chapter 3, which we just looked at. It has the same language, glory and honor. Um, Hebrews 3.3, 3, worthy of more glory, uh, has more honor. And uh, Hebrews chapter 5, no man takes his honor to himself, so also Christ did not glorify himself. It, it may be meaningful that the, these verses are using the same, same vocabulary. Now we, we continue back where we were. Hebrews chapter 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And I want to say to you that, you know, you, how many of you go to church? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> you didn't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> um, that's right, you do. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad of it. Um, you know, we hear Son of God, and you know, we hear that every Sabbath and so on like that. That is, I mean, that is something. And I shared this, actually, not too long ago. My wife told me I should share this in this context again. Um, 
I came to know the Son of God in a very living way um, in a bar room. In a bar room up in Gladwin, Michigan. Um, it was 1975, I think. And we had been smoking dope and drinking. And um, we'd taken several pills. And we had the great idea to leave my friend's parents' cottage and go to the bar. Even though we felt we were in the sticks and we felt that nobody would be there. But when we got there, the place was packed. We didn't, we didn't know, realize it was hunting season. So the place was packed. And, and um, so there we were. At that time, you only had to be 18 years old to drink in Michigan. Anybody remember that? Well, I do. Okay. So that didn't last long, thankfully. Well, there I was. And um, I was hungry for true spiritual things. And I could see in that bar room. I, mean, I, was, I was 19 at the time. And I was, you know, nobody would have known what was, that I was seeking spiritual things in my heart from, from the way I was living outwardly. Um, but I, I could see things going on in that bar room. I could see that. You know, there was men there, there was women there, and I didn't get the impression that those men were married to those women. You know, they were up there hunting and so on. And I just thought, you know, am I still going to be living this way 10 years from now? I wasn't particularly unhappy, but I knew there had to be something better than this. And, uh, well, believe it or not, maybe you've heard this story, Virginia, I don't know, but believe it or not, the band played a song called Knocking on Heaven's Door. All right, how many have how many are familiar with that song? Okay, okay, I'll take your confession statement. But anyway, um, yeah, knocking on heaven's door, which is not it's not in the hymnal. Let me just say that. Okay, but I was so hungry spiritually that just that cause, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I literally got up from my seat. And I went and stood. I walked past all the people dancing. I stood right in front of that band, just as if I was going to somehow get spiritual life from this rock band in this bar. But just that, that chorus. And when they finished, I turned to me and I went directly to the bathroom. And I prayed to God, whoever you are, because I had no clue. And um, please reveal yourself to me. And to my amazement, I felt the presence of God in that smoke-filled bathroom of that smoke-filled room. I really didn't know what to do about it. I mean, I was... I guess I expected God to hear my prayers. But pretty soon someone came in there and I couldn't really you know, stand there and pray in the bathroom of that bar. It didn't seem appropriate anyway, but um, I went back out. We ended up getting kicked out of the bar, me and my friends. I won't go into that part of it. But uh, alcohol tends to open the mouth without the brain engaged, right? We'll just leave it at that. Anyway, um, well, I think it's fair to say, well, anyway, I just say, yeah, we didn't have to say, hey, what do you want to do next, you guys? We all knew we wanted to, as fast as we could, get to the next bar before closing. And that's what we did. As fast as, and I was driving, it's fast. Fast as we could, we found the next bar, got in the parking lot, got went in, and uh, we took a seat. Then we looked around, so oh, this is a might bit fancier than the place we just came from. You know, it was more of a restaurant that served alcohol or something. I don't know, but you know, we were 
with our blue jean jackets and and uh, my hair was about like this young lady's hair here. And uh, I used to like to wear this black felt hat with a big rim. Anyway, they served us. Pardon? Yeah. So the waitress served us. And, um, and I was in my own world at that point. Just, you know, God had heard my prayer. But after a while, the waitress came back. She wanted to see our driver's license. And people were looking at us just because of the way we looked. I could see that. People were looking at us. You know, we weren't causing any trouble. We didn't want to get kicked out. And, uh, uh, so the waitress pretty soon came back and she wanted to see our driver's licenses again and, or our IDs. And I, we gave them to her and I thought, well, that's strange. She already saw them once. And I watched her. She This time she took them up to the bartender, probably the manager or owner of the place. And, and I watched in amazement as they got into a big argument and she got her coat and she left. He still had our driver's licenses. And I was, I became angry. I decided, you know, just because we have long hair or whatever, this guy doesn't want us in his bar. And I did the next logical thing. I thought to myself, well, I'm going to go break his nose. <laughs> and that's literally what I decided. And I stood up and I began to walk toward him. And uh, as I walked toward him, I mean, I just heard the voice of God. The voice of conscience, I'll say. Um, God, God heard your prayer. And I never read the verse that said, you know, walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. I never read that verse, but that was the thought that came to me. How do you know if you do this that, you know, he'll hear your prayer again? That's the thought that came to me. And at that point in time, right there between my table and this bartender, I said, God, I'm going to surrender my whole heart to you. I'm just going to love this man no matter what he says or does to me. And when that happened, when I made that surrender, the Spirit of God came into my I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit a few times. There the last year before my conversion, the Lord was drawing me. Sometimes I played golf in the evening, and it was pretty, you know. Well, and, and, I, and I would feel God's presence or things like that. But now, I felt the absolute rich presence of Jesus there. And I mean, uh, three weeks before that, I literally remember asking myself, who is God? You know, is it Buddha? Or I, I really didn't know, but I'll tell you right then, I knew that Jesus Christ was the living God and that He was there. And not only that, I felt a load of guilt fall off my shoulders that I never knew I was carrying. And I just felt like someone had just come and cleansed me. And it wasn't guilt. I really didn't know I was carrying this load of guilt. What I wanted was a power to change my life. I wasn't particularly unhappy, but I just knew there had to be something more, something better. But I, I didn't have the power to change my life. And I sensed that I now had that power. But more than anything, I felt the overwhelming presence of the living Jesus. There. He was right there. I mean, I... And I got to that bartender and I told him, and it astonished me, Jesus is alive. He loves us. And I just, I felt if I didn't speak to him, my very heart would have broke. And, and that's my point is that, you know, the Son of God, he, that's who we serve, the living 
Savior, the living Savior. Uh, by the way, so I was talking to the guy and just telling him, just earnestly telling him about the love of Jesus. And then I looked at the two guys there at the bar and they were drunk, which was all of a sudden repellent to me, repulsive to me. And, uh, and so I turned to them and started talking to them about Jesus. They should love one another. Jesus loves us. Then I realized that everybody in the whole bar was looking at me. So I preached my first sermon ever. And it did not go over very well. Uh, actually, literally, I, it's not what I meant to say. I was more speaking about myself, I guess. I said to them, Jesus is alive. And I've never, ever been more in earnest in my entire life. Jesus is alive. I said, he loves us. I said, even if we are drunks, I said. <laughs> and I promise you that that whole bar, well, at least the males, is like a button was pressed, they all came at me. <laughs> and that bartender, who I was, you know, going to break his nose, he probably would have broke my jaw before I ever got close enough to do that, but he was between me and them. My friends were pulling me out. He was pushing me out. And I, I saw this thing. It's kind of like you know Pilgrim's Progress. Like it was just like I had no. I I just was in the realm of peace. It, it was like a that the guy trying to hit me was a different world. And I um, that was it. I, I went home, went to bed. I mean I, I um, not one of my friends said a word in my car all the way back. Next morning I got up and went out in the woods. And I spent hours out there. I shed a lot of tears over a lot of things I had done. But I had a lot of joy and peace, and I recognized I had a new life. And I began a new life. And uh, so it's the Son of God that we, you know, seeing then that we have a great high priest, right? The Son of God. A few more verses here. Um, again, Hebrews chapter 5, we've, we've we looked at these earlier. My Son. You know, so it is this. He is the Son. You are my Son today, I begotten. And then, though He was a Son, yet He learned obedience. Even the Son of God went through these things. He became perfected. We looked at this. I want to get uh, Hebrews chapter 7. We'll talk about this tomorrow. But notice the importance. So the word of the oath appoints the Son. And then, um, oh yeah, so here's where God in these last days has spoken to us by His Son. Now notice here. I just want you to notice this. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to close. I just have a few more slides. So, he's, God in these last days has spoken to us by His Son. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Well, apostle is one who was sent. God sent His Son into the world. This is a reference to His humanity. He became human. He was sent here with this message. The Son came with God's message. And then this precious verse in the light of this. In bringing many sons to glory. The Father has not just one son. He has many sons. Some of these slides on your paper are a little dark today. I, I noticed that when I saw the copies when I was stapling them. Anyway, so praise God. There's a son and there's many sons. 
as we talked about, accepted the brethren. And we're one with him, Hebrews 2.11. Um, again, Hebrews, we looked at these verses that were quoted yesterday. I want to come to this here. So I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. Hebrews 1.5. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Hebrews 1.5, quoting 2 Samuel 7.14. This is my closing thoughts here. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. That's what God said about his son Jesus. Notice in the Hebrews chapter 8, quoting Jeremiah 31, I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, bringing many sons to glory. That's what we're talking about. Now notice, I will be to him a father. That's Hebrews 1.5, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I will be their God. Hebrews 8.10. This is the same promise. I will be to him a father. And then about the human race, those of faith, I will be their God. Again, he shall be a son. He shall be to me a son. They shall be my people. This is the same precious promise. Now note, the Lord said, as we already pointed out, about Solomon, I will establish his kingdom, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, I will be his father, he shall be my son. David rejoiced, he comprehended, he rejoiced in this, these precious promises. And notice his response. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people, and you, Lord, have become their God. So, so the same words spoken through the Son are spoken through the many sons. It's awesome and it's precious and it's life-giving. All right. Any questions? Comments? Pardon? He did that night. You know, when I made the mistake of trying to go to the bar where all my friends went to go in there and witness after that, I didn't drink. Or that, wasn't, that wasn't the mistake part. Just that people aren't that receptive when they're... Uh... <laughs> I did it once. It didn't work. Go ahead. Anyway. Oh, I, never... oh, I must have. I must have. And I, when I got outside, that waitress was out there and I talked to her about the love of Jesus and everything. Yeah, that was, thank God for his grace and mercy. And I, I just would tell you one more thing, um, sort of relevant to what I just said to you in this class. When I was in ninth, I went to Roman Catholic schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. <clears throat> and um, in the ninth grade, I got an F every quarter in religion class, Bible class. I had a nun that was like 90 years old or something. We thought she was 120, I don't know, but all she could do was say, she had us copying word for word out of, I don't know, Chronicles or something. I wasn't going to do that. So anyway, the Lord is good, right? I failed. We didn't call it Bible class, it was called religion, but anyway. That's another story. That's a whole other story. I can't do that in two minutes. <laughs> All right. I'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your wonderful goodness and 
Thank you for this precious book of Hebrews. We have two more days. We continue forward. Please just bless our hearts and minds. Give everyone here a blessed day. Blessed of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.